Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. I've already been warned. I've got a, uh, a group of folks that say they're going to talk back when I teach. I'm okay with that. Let me tell you a little uh, tidbit about me biographically. I have three siblings, two, young, two brothers and a sister. And um, my wife, Melanie, has one sister. The thing that Melanie and I have in common is that we are both firstborns. Yeah, some of y'all are too. We both know what it's like to be phase one critical, critical test about what it is to raise a little human because our parents experimented on us first. We can compare stories about the mistakes they made, or at least uh, the things that confused us. We know how unfair it is to be firstborns. Good example. I had to wait till I was 12 years old until I was allowed to go with my dad on his annual hunting trip to West Texas. My two younger brothers didn't have to wait until they were 9 or 10 years old. Not fair. My younger sister, my little sister, who is very petite, very small, got a room by herself in a queen-size bed, and I was relegated to sleeping in the same room with my two brothers in a bed that my dad made himself. It was more like a hammock instead of a bed. Not fair. Melanie was not allowed to wear blue jeans to high school, not because the school said that she couldn't, but her mother said it wasn't ladylike. Guess whose little sister got to start wearing blue jeans when they were in elementary school without reprimand? Her little sister. How many of you our firstborns. Raise your hand. Somebody tell me what's something that was unfair as a result of being a firstborn. What, what happened to you that wasn't fair? Huh? Yell it out. Got in trouble for the things that the younger ones actually did. A lot of spankings. Oh. What else? Somebody yell at me. Huh? Falsely accused. All the time. <laughs> well, today we're going to look, about, look at something about God that's unfair. But quite frankly, I think we're going to be okay with that. That's actually the title of today is Unfair, fill in the blank, and I'll fill that in in a minute, but I'm okay with it. All right? It's the reason all kinds of people are attract, were attracted to Jesus, and it may surprise you. And it's explained in one single word, grace. And that may sound odd to you, unfair grace, but I'm okay with it. Grace, undeserved, unearned favor, unearned forgiveness from God, not based on anything you did, right or wrong, good or bad. It's, what, it's well, something, if we're all honest, it's something we crave, right? We crave grace. We crave grace when we've, when we've hurt or offended someone we love or someone that we need. And we know we can't take the words back. We can't go back and redo it. And yet grace is something that's offered to us when they say, you know what, let's move on. We'll act like it's never happened. The relationship is completely restored. Unmerited, undeservable, unearnable grace. See, the thing is, grace isn't genuine if it's just a concept or an idea. 
Grace has to be experienced, and the experience of grace requires a relationship. By the way, just so you know, I have Parkinson's. My, my knees shake, my hands shake sometimes. I'm not nervous. It's just this is the way I am. We all good with that? Yeah. Okay. I know, it's, I know it's obvious, and I'm still getting used to being, being noticeable like that. Anyway, grace has to be experienced. And the experience of grace requires a relationship, which is why God had to show up among us to be one of us. We would never have known the grace of God without experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ on our earth, in our lives. The relationship is there, and therefore grace is offered through him. John's autobiography of Jesus quotes him as saying this about Jesus. We have seen his glory. Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth, not the balance of grace and or truth, but all grace, all truth, all the time. But the thing is, it's the grace of Jesus that was so unsettling to folks. It made them go, huh? I don't get it. Jesus hung out with, the, with, with folks who were marginalized, like women who were seen as just property. And yet he did something for the women's movement, even way back then. The cheaters like Zacchaeus, you know, the little guy. Oh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee. How many of y'all sang that song growing up? There you go, you know it. But cheaters like Zacchaeus, he hung out with them. He hung out with the immoral, who you weren't supposed to be around. He hung out with the diseased, who were supposed to have a lot of distance between them and the public. He offered grace that forgives and a grace that redeems, paired with the truth that sinners need the grace that he could offer. So Jesus would try to explain something like that in story form, this grace that people seem to crave, and yet a lot of times we don't know how to approach it. We don't know how to hang on to it. We don't know how to keep it. We don't know how to look at it from God's viewpoint, and it seems so unfair at first glance. Jesus actually told a story about that, which I think is really interesting. We're going to look at it from the Message Bible, because the Message Bible is kind of a story format, right? So this is a story in that same format. Jesus said it like this. In Matthew chapter 20, he said this. He said, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on the wage of a dollar, I'm sorry, that's a little bit cheesy, chintzy. But they agreed on the wage of a dollar a day, and they went to work. Later, about 9 o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square, unemployed. He told them to go work in his vineyard, and he'd pay them a fair wage. So they went. He did the same thing at noon, and then again at 3 o'clock. And at 5 o'clock, an hour before the day was technically over, he went back and found still others. And he said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? And it's kind of like they said, duh. No one hired us. So he told them to go work in the vineyard. When the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last that was hired and go on all the way to the first. So those hired at 5 o'clock, one hour before closing time, at 5 o'clock, they came up and they were each given a dollar. And you can imagine what the guys at the other end of the line are thinking, dude, instead of a dollar a day, we're getting a dollar an hour. I am so in for this. 
but they got the same. Each of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, and I love this word that the Message Bible uses, they groused, groused, grumbled. Yeah, seriously? They groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy, measly hour, and you just made them equal to us who slaved all day under a scorching sun. He replied to the one speaking for all the rest of them. He said, friend, I have not been unfair. To which everybody listening to Jesus tell this for the first time probably were thinking, what do you mean it's not fair? It's not, it's not unfair. By what standard is this fair? And the vineyard owner goes on and says, we agreed on the wage of one dollar, didn't we? So, take it. Go on home. I decided to give it to the one who came the last the same as you. And there it is, the first part. I decided. I decided what's fair. And I gave it to the one in the last of the line just as, you, as the one in the front of the line. And then here it comes again. Can't I do what I want? Can't I do what I want with my own money? In other words... Can't I do what I want? It's not about what you want. It's what I want to do with what I have. Are you going to get stingy because I'm generous? And Because he's probably thinking, I gave you a job. I'm not, a, I'm not stingy. I gave you what you needed. And in that moment, we see the way that we kind of understand the way the 12-hour laborers see the world, right? I get what I earn. And that's what's fair. And in this parable, Jesus invites us to see our relationship with God completely different than that. See, because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is characterized by unsettling, uneasy, unanticipated generosity. See, the owner paid the workers according to not their productivity, but according to what they needed all of them needed to be able to feed a family. All of them needed to pay their bills. All of them needed something that would sustain them financially for that day. And so they all got what they needed. And that teaches us that God's grace is all about what he knows we need. Not on the basis of how much we think we've earned. Not on the basis of what we'd really like or want. He knows me better than anybody else knows me. He knows what I need more than what I know I need. And Jesus is asking us, as well as his listeners back then, are you going to step into a system where the undeserving get exactly what they need, grace, even though they don't deserve it? Are you going to be willing to extend to others exactly what they need, grace, but they don't deserve because my heavenly father has extended grace to you even though you haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. It's something I want to give to you. Can you not do that with someone else? Lopsided, uneven, imbalanced, seemingly unfair grace that we all need, that we all crave. And, of course, back then, listening to this, just like some of us here, all the prodigal sons and all the prodigal daughters are like, yes, I'll be in on that. All the prodigal wives and all the prodigal mothers who just ditch their responsibility and run off and do something irresponsible, and they wake up three or four years later and go, I blew it. 
Will I ever get my family back? They're, looking, they're listening to what Jesus is saying and saying, I'll take that. Hallelujah. Something's there for me. Prodigal husbands who blew up their families and their marriages and thought, God's never going to hear another prayer of mine. And they're going, yes, I'll take the grace because that's what I need. But what about people like me? Maybe some of you. The early to the parade people. You know what I'm talking about. The folks who were pretty good and didn't mess up really bad. We hung in there with God. Doesn't that count for something? I tried to stay in the lane as best I could. Doesn't that put me a little bit further down the road? Doesn't that earn me a little bit more? Sounds unfair, doesn't it? And Jesus gives us a reality check because in the next verse is what he says that we need to hang on to. It's like the great reversal. Many of the first end up last, and the last first. In other words, it'll feel like we should have been near the front of the line. And then all of a sudden, it's like we got sent to the back of the line to the other end, and someone else, quote, less deserving, gets put up there near the front instead. And it's going to feel unfair because of how we've been raised to measure what's fair by using comparisons. Who deserves more? Who deserves less? Who did better? Who didn't? Who was nicer? Who was a real jerk? Who committed the really, really big sins and who just did, told a few white lies and maybe gossiped just a little bit? See, here's the point. Grace isn't really fair by those standards, by that definition. And here's the one thing I really want us to get today. Grace doesn't compare. You don't get to compare yourself to somebody else and say, I get it more quickly and more readily and in bigger doses than they do. Grace doesn't compare because grace in Jesus, remember Jesus came in all grace and all truth. Grace in Jesus is always married to, married to truth. And truth is, we've all fallen short of God's standard. Every single person on the planet, past, present, and future. And yet, over and over and over, Jesus emphasized that everybody is invited to enjoy this deep relationship with God. Everybody, the people that showed up at 6, the people that showed up at 9, the people that showed up at 12, the people that showed up at 5. Everybody deserves to be invited in. The people with baggage the people with regret, the people with a past, the people who judge the people with a past, the people who judge the people with baggage, the people who regret. Everybody, everybody is invited to the kingdom of God and everybody gets in through the same door. Jesus. Jesus who is grace and truth personified. Jesus who told the truth and said, this is what sin is and I'm going to call it what it is. I'm going to call it sin. This is, this is what makes a person a sinner. And you are sinners because you can't uphold 100% of the law, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year. You can't do it. So all of us are sinners. doesn't matter if you're a great sinner or a small sinner. We can't compare. And then Jesus died for all those sinners, me, you, and everyone else on the planet. Everybody comes to God through the same door the same way. By first of all agreeing that we've blown it, we sin. 
That's what confession is. And then consciously turning back in his direction. That's what repentance is. It's taking concrete steps to move back in the direction of God. You know what repentance really is? It's not about flailing yourself and saying, I'm a bad person. It's saying, I want to go home. I want to go home to my father. I want to go home where there's family. Maybe not birth family, but spiritual family. I want to go home. And I want to go back. And I take steps to submit my life, my thoughts, my words, my outlook, my attitude, my choices, my relationships. I put all of that and submit all of that consciously under God's direction and God's authority. And then placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we trust Him that what He did on our behalf is what gives us grace. Regardless of how unright we are, because grace doesn't compare God's grace gives us as much as we need. Forgiveness. Another shot at making things right. Another shot at making choices that honor Him. And another shot, and another shot, and another shot. Why? It's like what Scripture says in Lamentations. His mercies are new. How often? Every single morning. God offers you and me as much grace as we need to remove the sin, to remove the shame, to cover us in His holiness, to cover us in His righteousness, to cover us in His purity, to cover us in His Holy Spirit, to be drawn back to Him on intimate terms, to truly be called sons and daughters by Him. All because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death that paid for all of our sins and his resurrection that promises a forever life with him that starts now and never quits. And it doesn't matter who needs more and who needs less because grace doesn't compare. Quite simply, we all need it. We all need God's grace. So what that tells me is that who's first and who's last really isn't important. Doesn't matter where I am in the line. Doesn't matter where you are in the line. As long as we're in the line. You know what? Actually, what I read in Scripture, there's no lines in God's kingdom. There's crowds. Crowds that follow Jesus around. Crowds that Paul tells us are like clouds of witnesses urging us on forward. Crowds of people in Revelation that are gathered around the throne to sing praises to God. I just want to be in the crowd. Doesn't matter to me, crowds or lines. I just want to be somewhere in there. All because God's grace is greater than all my sin. So today, I want to give us an opportunity to be recipients of God's unfair grace. In a minute, there's going to be a prayer up on the screen. And we're all, you're going to be invited for us all to read it together in unison. Some of you may have said something similar to that when you were younger. But maybe you wandered away and maybe life has beat you up a bit. And you, you sense that God is saying, I want you to do that come back home thing today. I want you to repent. 
I want you to come back with me. I want you to do an about face with your life and an about face with your choices and renew your faith in Jesus. Some of you may feel like you've really blown it and you wonder if God would ever come near. And you need God's grace to go down deep in your soul because God's unfair grace is ready and willing to be offered without strings. Maybe you'll be like me where you prayed this kind of a prayer a long time ago and you've pretty much stayed between the rails in the sense that you never lost your faith. Maybe today is just a time for you to re-say something that was very important to you at the very beginning of your walk with God. And you just need to say it out loud again. Maybe today, perhaps, it's for the very first time because you, you crave what only God can give you. His grace his favor, his forgiveness that can't be earned or worked up because it's his gift that he offers you. You may not be comfortable doing something like this, and that's okay. This is not meant to exclude anybody or to point you out. But I want us to do something together to really get it, that grace is something that's for all of us. So it's going to be up on the screen. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Read it with me. Here we go. God, I fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve, grace, to be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. So I place my faith in him as my Savior, my forgiver, and Lord, the leader of my life. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us again. Father, when we really stop and think about the grace that you've offered to us, the forgiveness, the favor that we can't earn, that we can't hang on to and, uh, and facilitate on our own, it is stunning that you would do that for us. Father, for those who've said it for the first time in a minute, give them courage to share that with someone. For those of us that have been on the fence, for those of us that have needed just to say it once more, burn it deep within our hearts and our souls. Words are inadequate to say thank you enough. Words are inadequate to make it go down deep. But, Father, you touch us deep within our hearts to remind us that Jesus, full of grace and truth, has come to save us and to bring us back to you. Move with your Holy Spirit in these moments as we sing once more. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song, and as we do, I'm going to, I'm going to invite those of you that would like to if you need someone to pray with, the prayer team's going to be up here in the front. If you just need to come and just kneel, come and kneel and just spend some time with God. But let's worship one more time. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.